sitting on the edge of my bed. Me and my girlfriend had just broken up. It was a girl that I dated probably for like two or three years on and off. And, you know, I, I was sitting on the edge of my bed and I was thinking my, at the time, the housing market had just collapsed. My house was, I was, my house was being foreclosed on. I was in a career that I hated, uh, like a dead end career that I didn't enjoy. I was an alcoholic. I had been using drugs. I had a drug problem. I had money in my taxes. I think I had a DUI pending. I didn't really have anyone in my life. I remember thinking, I don't really have anyone in my life that, that loves me outside of like my mom or my family, like or that I love. I'm Doug Bobst, personal trainer, best-selling author, and entrepreneur, and I'm on a mission to help others become the best version of themselves. So I'd like to welcome you to the Adversity Advantage podcast, where we will help you use obstacles, failures, and setbacks to give you that edge needed for success. I'll be interviewing people from all walks of life on how they overcame trials and turned them into triumphs. So please, sit back, relax, and get ready to be absolutely blown away by some of the wisdom and stories you're about to hear. What's up, and welcome back to another episode of the Adversity Advantage. I'm your host, Doug Bobst, and I'm here with my really good friend, Rob Kowalski. And Rob and I have gotten to know each other through the years. Um, he's the author of Why Waiting Works, the founder of CityFam, a Maryland-based nonprofit organization whose mission is to create communities who do life with purpose. Rob is a self-proclaimed reformed bad boy, once the biggest stripper and nightclub promoter in his hometown of Baltimore, also my hometown. He had a radical life-changing encounter with Jesus that transformed him forever. His testimony from life of excess to redemption has inspired millions of people from around the world already. His mess has become his message, and he has been featured on a lot of media outlets. And his book actually was the 2019 winner of the uh, Baltimore Sun Reader's Choice Awards. And... um. You know, Rob, welcome to the podcast. I'm happy to have you on. Thanks for having me, Doug. Always great to catch up with you. Yeah, man. So, like, as I've kind of told you, um, this show is about helping people use adversity um, to become the best version of themselves. So, like, and I know your story because we've gotten to know each other pretty well, but maybe take take the listeners back to where a point in your life where you felt like absolutely no way out, you felt hopeless, you were in the depths of despair, and you just felt like shackled by adversity. Like, what did that look like for you? Sure. Um, so I would say the first memory that comes to mind is, so I became, like started to change my life back in 2000. I was a big, like you said, I was a stripper, I was a club promoter, you know, hundreds of, I slept with hundreds of women. I you know, use drugs pretty regularly. Uh, my life was a party. And then um, I ran into Jesus when I was 27 years old. Uh, didn't even know that he was real, uh, but definitely uh, had a undeniable experience with him where I did this radical 180, changed my life completely, uh, was abstinent for the next six years, you know, stopped using drugs, stopped stripping, quit promoting, just really, you know, was like committed to following him and, you know, whatever that looked like, but it was a really lonely time. It was really depressing because I, I did, I'm not religious. You know what I mean? So I didn't really even relate to people that went to church for the most part. And I, I was just kind of like, kind of staying in every weekend, not knowing what to do or who to do it with waiting for, I was looking for a community actually of people that, that were like me. And I, and I, when I couldn't find them, I just, uh, I thought, well, maybe God will give me a wife here s sooner or later and that'll take care of this problem, but it didn't happen. So I actually went 
back to the bar scene in 2006 just because I, I just wanted to enjoy my life a little bit. I wanted to be around people and um, kind of started making some bad decisions, started making the decisions like I'd made previously, you know, drinking too much, sleeping around again. Eventually I was using drugs uh, again. And, and I remember right like toward the tail end of that, it was probably around 2010 or something. And I was, I, I was uh, sitting on the edge of my bed. Me and my girlfriend had just broken up. It was a girl that I dated probably for like two or three years on and off. And, you know, I, I was sitting on the edge of my bed and I was thinking my, at the time, the housing market had just collapsed. My house was, I was, my house was being foreclosed on. I was in a career that I hated, uh, like a dead end career that I didn't enjoy. I was an alcoholic. I, had been using drugs. I, mean, I had a drug problem. I had money in my taxes. I think I had a DUI pending. I didn't really have anyone in my life. I remember thinking, I don't really have anyone in my life that, that loves me outside of like my mom or my family, like or that I love. And I remember I was sitting there thinking about, man, you really fucked your life up. You know, I, that's what I was sitting there thinking. And, and I closed my eyes and I was, I was imagining I was imagining back in 2006 because there was this really small window of time. So from the time that I was living this straight, late, this straight, narrow life to the time that I started making bad decisions, there was like about a three to six month window. And I started working in the nightclubs again. Um, I thought I could make a difference from the inside. And I used to have a small group that met inside of a nightclub. We were reading a book called The Purpose Driven Life by Rick Warren. We would go out and feed the homeless on Thursday nights after the small group met. And then anybody that would come to the small group, I would let in for free to the nightclub on Saturday. Was, and I had the hottest nightclub in town. And it was this really special period of my life. It was like, like I said, about three to six months where I was around people that I could relate to. I was making a difference. I, I was enjoying my life. But there was this weird tension because, um, you know, like the fruit was there, like the apple was there. And I wanted a bite of it. And I, I managed it for about three to six months. And then eventually I took a bite and that's when everything started to kind of crumble around me. So I, as I was sitting there on the edge of my bed now, I was remembering what my life was like during that three to six months. And I was going, and I was thinking, man, if I could, if I could only go back and, and I was thinking about all the bad decisions. I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have slept with that girl. And I wouldn't have, I wouldn't have, you know, done this. And I, I wouldn't have brought in that person as a partner because I was making a decision over money versus purpose of that. I started thinking about all these things. And I, I got so deep in my imagination that I almost, I opened my eyes, almost thinking I was going to be back in 2006 and I, I was going to have a chance to do it again. And, and I wasn't, I opened my eyes and here I was in 2010 and things were still a mess. And I felt, I felt kind of hopeless because I thought, you know, you had your chance and you blew it. Little did I know that not long after that, a year, about a year after that is when I rededicated my life to, to God and I started, I started making decisions like I would have made in 2006, which is basically like, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, you know, I'm not going to do all those things that I did again. Like it, was, it was as if God let me back in the garden of Eden after being kicked out. Imagine if God let Adam and Eve back in after he kicked them out once. Cause they would be like, you guarantee they wouldn't touch the apple this time. You know what I mean? That's what it was like for me. I'm getting a chance to do it again, but I remember how hopeless I felt because I, I felt like, you know, like I had my chance and that was it. And I blew it. 
Yeah, and I and I think like that's that's amazing, and you know, really kudos to you for going through all that and getting to where you are today. You know, one of the questions I have for you is, I know this about you, but maybe the listeners don't. Is where did like that drive and that like almost addiction for sleeping around with so many women, you know, doing the whole stripping thing, the nightclub thing? Did that come from something like deeper, like as far as your childhood, like something with? Because I know your mom raised you as a single mom when she was super yeah. young. Your dad was out of the picture. Did, did any of that play into it? You know, if you would have asked me years ago, I would have said no because I just thought I just thought I liked women. You know, I thought I was girl crazy and the thrill to chase or whatever, I guess. But from the time I hit puberty, I wanted to be a ladies' man, and my dad was kind of a ladies' man, and he wasn't around. And I guess why I thought maybe there was some part deep down in me that thought that I would get his approval if I was too. Um, and then the other thing is, is, you know, me and my mom, we moved around a lot. We, we, I literally went to, I think, 11 different schools in 12 years. I was always a new kid. We were poor. I, so I never really, we never went back to school shopping. So I was always like trying to fit in at the new school, but never really felt like I did. And I wanted, I guess I wanted to be cool. I wanted the acceptance that I didn't feel like I got you know, maybe from my father, I don't know, you know, um, I went to actually did did some therapy recently and and they, my therapist told me that's what it was based on. I mean, I'm still like, you know, I'm still not sure myself, but I'm sure it led to that because, you know, from the time I was 14 years old, my, my life's dream was to be a male stripper. And I'm not even joking. (laughs) That's what I wanted to do when I grew up was I said, I want to be a male stripper. And when I was 19, I did it. And, um, but what, what 14 year old thinks like that. Right. So there's gotta be something deeper going on, but, um, yeah, it, it, uh, yeah, I'm not, I can't say I'm a hundred percent sure that that's what it is, but I suspect that it, it definitely had, had something to do with it, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, we all have things we deal with as a kid that translate into who we are as adults. And I think the more we can unpack that, I think the bigger impact we'll have not only on our lives, but others. And, you know, I know like, what um your view on on sex through the years has drastically changed i mean from going from somebody who says you know you slept with the hundreds of women you just wanted to be like the ladies man you wanted to to chase after whoever you can and now your video on waiting um before marriage is the number one youtube video there is and it's helping millions of people you've created city fam so like as far as like, you know, you hit a lot of adversity, you said back in 2010 and even, you know, in 2000, in the early 2000s, like how has that like led into, you know, your view on sex, how you treat women, what you're creating now? Yeah. Thanks for asking. Um, so I, I didn't really understand the concept of waiting, you know, really for anything to be honest, but specifically sex. Um, when I started on this journey in 2000, you know, God, this is all his idea. I'm first, I'm very quick to tell people none of this is my idea. It wasn't my idea to be abstinent. God told me the right things at the right time in order to get me to the point that I'm at. But, you know, when I started, I was like, to me, sex was like a massage. I, you know, if it feels good, do it. Why would we wait? Girl tells, if a girl told me she wanted to wait, I would be like, why? We're going to just make each other feel good. Why would we wait? I didn't get it. And I see a lot of, a lot of guys in that same position. They don't, they don't understand it because, you know, we think like men, you know, and, but girls think differently than us. And, uh, and, and sometimes girls think that we think like them, you know, which is sometimes why they'll, they'll, they'll have, you know, if a guy says, I love you, the girl will have sex with you. Or if he says, I want, I want to be with you, the girl will have sex and she'll, she'll 
think he means it. Well, he might mean it when he said it, but he might not really mean it. So, but I, but I started to understand it, you know, when I, I, so those first six years that I was absent, I started to understand it. I still didn't completely understand it. I was waiting for selfish reasons. I was waiting because I wanted God to send me a wife. And I thought if I didn't sin for long enough that he would do it. I, I had never been in love prior to that. And I actually, I've still never been loved, but I thought that with some good behavior, he would give me a life. So I was kind of doing it for, for my for own, my own selfish purposes. But then when I got back into the club scene, I was trying to make a difference. I got really close to the edge because that's where the people were that I wanted to reach. And it sucked me in and it, I made a mess. I, I, you know, and I probably slept with, you know, I don't even know. I slept with probably a couple hundred girls over the course of those five years from 2006 to 2011. So when I rededicate it, you know, I got committed to waiting again because I'm a fundamentalist, you know? So if the, if the word says it, the Bible says it, I'm going to believe it. And I, I cut the sex off with my girlfriend of two years and it gave me complete clarity about the relationship. It gave her clarity too. We ended up breaking up not long after. And then somewhere some, somehow then I really understood it from going, I guess from living at one side and then going to the other side and then going back and then come, somehow along that process, I just got it. And I made a, a video, like you said, a couple of years ago, cause I, I wanted to explain it to people practically so that they understand it because every other video or book that I've ever read about it was always very religious and that doesn't resonate with people. Like it didn't resonate with me as a kid. Cause I would hear, I'd, I'd hear maybe, you know, I went to church sporadically as a kid and I would hear people say, Oh, don't have sex, but they never t- could tell you why. And if you can't tell me why I'm not going to listen. So I, I wanted to, I wanted to explain it practically because I felt like, you know, maybe, maybe people will do it. And, and, and something I this is actually, I thought I was having earlier today that, you know, I think people, they, they look at me cause I, you know, here I throw, I throw parties, I throw, you know, big new year's Eve party. I got a big concert coming up at, a, at the horseshoe casino. So I like parties, you know, I like, I like being around people. I like having fun. And I think people have a hard time figuring that out. Cause they're like, hold on, you you like going to parties, but you're telling people not to have sex. And I'm like, I don't look at it any differently as any other discipline. Like you wouldn't think twice about somebody that worked out regularly that was in a bar, right? right. Somebody that had big muscles that, that worked out, you'd be like, it would just make sense. This is no different. It's just a different way to discipline yourself. The reason that I, so I used to work out and it wasn't for health. It was because I, I thought it would bring me more pleasure. And it did. I got, you know what I mean? I dated hotter women. So, if, if I know something's going to bring me more pleasure, I'll put myself through some discipline to get more pleasure. I, you know, people do it all the time and I'll put myself through the discipline of waiting. If I believe it's going to bring me more pleasure, which it will. And just, people just don't understand it. So for me, there's no difference between the fact they see me throwing parties and then I talk about abstinence. I'm like, it's because it's the right thing to do. It's because it will, what's will bring you more pleasure. Yeah, and, no I, yeah, yeah, and I, I think you're right. And I know you and I have talked a lot about this through the years, and I share a very similar view on, you know, the importance of connecting with somebody, you know, before you have sex, the importance of, you know, making sure you ha- you're aligned spiritually, mentally, and emotionally before, you know, bridging into that the physical um, realm of things. And I think a lot of people get caught up with the whole religious thing. They're like, oh, like, that's just like a Christian thing. And it's like, no, like the more you look at it, what are the statistics you were, I think you were sharing, I saw you speak, the st- statistics yeah. of divorce between people who wait versus who don't wait. Yeah. 
6% of people that marry as virgins uh, get divorced, only 6%. But of people that don't wait have a 50% divorce rate. I mean, it's pretty clear. Because what happens is when you have sex with somebody before marriage, first off, you rob yourself of the, pr- of the process of marriage. So this is coming from someone now that's done this. I've lived it both sides, so I understand it. You know, because it's not like the desire for the sex for sex has gone away from me. I still want to have sex just as bad as I did before. You know, but what I, as bad as I want the pleasure of sex, I equally don't want the pain of a, of a divorce. So what it does is it causes me now to evaluate the person. So imagine like, imagine if you knew you only could get one of something, right? Of anything. Let's just use a vehicle. If you only knew you could get one vehicle, and I'm not comparing women to vehicles, but I just want you to follow this thought process for a second. Um, if you don't, knew you could only get one of that thing, you're going to make sure that you choose very carefully. You know what I mean? Like you're not going to just pick the first one that comes along. You're going to, you're going to weigh it and say, well, I'm only getting one. So you're going to choose. You know what, what happens though is when you're a greedy pig, like I was, you don't about, you think, well, I'm not going to choose one. I'm going to have them all. And then what happens is you end up getting stuck with one, but it's not the one that you would have chosen. It's far less than that that one or it's just not when I don't mean far less meaning like it's just not the one that was designed for you and then people try to stay and they stay in relationships and they try to make it work you know all the time we're going to try to make it work well it's probably because you jumped into something before really evaluating who they were and now you're in something complicated I just had a, a co-worker uh Jenny who's my director of operations she just put in her two weeks notice and um started a new job today and um it you know just her leaving we worked around each other for two years it was really hard you know to let her go i mean when you're in a relationship with somebody and you're sleeping with them you literally get attached to them on some level like it's called a soul tie in the bible i just look at it as biology oxytocin where you know uh, if you've ever been through a bad breakup or any breakup, it's hard to do. If you're getting physical, it's it's a really difficult thing to do because that's the way we're wired. Where we'll, sex causes us to stick to people, and people don't they don't go through the process of waiting, and they end up having sex with somebody that they're just physically attracted to. And guess what? The physical attraction fades because the connection wasn't deep, and then you end up not even having sex, but you're stuck in a relationship with somebody that you're not in love with. Yeah, and and I think as somebody who has been on the opposite side of the spectrum as you, like I've, um, you know, I've waited a long, like a long time to try to you know find the right person and done a lot of work on myself. Um, it, it's it's so true, just seeing and, and learning what I've learned and just seeing how a lot of relationships don't end up working out, especially like for me growing up, it was like sex was always like the number one thing. And if you weren't having sex, like you weren't cool. Cause in our country, we, we put sex on this, like as yeah. a guy, like you gotta be good at sports. You gotta have a lot of sex. You gotta make a lot of money. And so I know like a lot of your book, like mostly, I don't want to say, you know, all, but mostly women resonate to your book because you yeah. know, what you're saying is that, you know, women tend to have the, the deeper emotional connection after the sex happens versus the guy. Not that the guy doesn't have it, but bio- biologically speaking, you know, so what do you think, like, as far as, like, men, like, if you were to talk to a guy who was, like, in, yeah. a, in a relationship and was trying to convince him not to have sex, like, what would you say? 
Yeah, the motivation for a man to wait and a woman to wait are different for sure. So on a on a on a base level, I talk about this a lot: is men want sex and women want security, right? So our nature, by our very nature, we're different, you know. Um, which is again why men that have a lot of sex are looked at as a stud, and women that have a lot of sex are looked at as a hoe or sex with a lot of men, because because. We we know it, and you know, at our core, we know that there's a difference. It's why prostitution is the world's old, oldest profession. There's lots of you know examples of this. I tell people all the time. I'm like, if you look at the customers in the the sex trade industry, you know, 100% of the time it's men. Even when it's men buying other men, it's always men, you know, because we want sex. So what I would say to a man that this is the the danger of not waiting for a man is. You don't realize what your purpose is because that's when I got really clear on what I was here for when I stopped having sex, when I got, when I, that's when I got clarity. And I believe that there's a lot of evidence in that with, with, um, subjects like sex transmutation from think and grow rich. And also even in no fat, they talk about how you get more clarity just by not busting nuts. So I think, and I'm not saying, I'm not saying that you should, that's something that should be a goal long-term, but I think that you get clarity when you, when you stop at least for a period of time. But the other thing that it does is it, it helps you choose the right person. That's going to help you accomplish your purpose because it's not, you know, like what I believe is that people have a unique skill set within them and that skill set can complement your skill set. But if you're leading with physical attraction, if that's your, that, that's what you're letting dictate who you date, there's a really good fucking chance that you're going to get hemmed up with the wrong person that doesn't match your skill set. Because even if you don't mean to, that because that was always my thing. I was like, I wasn't looking for relationships. I didn't even want relationships. I was like, I just want to have casual sex. But I, what would happen is I would sleep with a girl, and if I didn't immediately lose interest, which would happen a lot, then the, the second thing that would happen is we would continue having sex, and we would drift into a relationship. And then all of a sudden it would feel like something was missing. I would be looking over my shoulder at other women wondering if I could be happier with them. But for whatever reason, we couldn't break up and I didn't want anybody else to have them either. And then the next thing you know, I spent five years with my first girlfriend and I was definitely not in love, but we were stuck together. And when we finally did break up, it was super painful. And I, I almost ended up marrying her because I just thought I didn't want to lose her. And I, you know, she started dating somebody else and I wanted the pain to go away. So I almost reeled her back in and married her. Thank God she didn't come back to me. She married the other guy. But that's what happens all the time. You know, people people have sex too too quickly or, or be, just before. You know, the longer you wait, the better it is. You know, you might not agree with what I'm saying of waiting until marriage, but that is that is the real standard because that's when you know it's going to cause you pain if you're wrong. Like I always, I always reference the verse in the Bible that says the heart is deceitful above all things. So your heart, your heart will trick you into believing something that's true in order to give your flesh what it wants. And it's happens to all of us all the time. So you, you might see somebody, maybe you're dating someone. You're like, okay, I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to wait till I'm in a committed relationship, whatever that's supposed to mean. So you're like, okay, well, man, I, you know, you're thinking, well, I really want to have sex with this girl. So I'm going to make her my girlfriend. And then, you had, you make her your girlfriend, but maybe you were, maybe you're not in love. Now, if you would have said to, to this girl, or even if, if it was to a guy, if you were a girl say, Hey, I'm in love with you. Let's have sex. And they say, I'm in love with you too. Let's just run to the courthouse real quick and get married. That would change the conversation a lot, wouldn't it? 
it's not just because you know a divorce is going to cause you pain. So now you're going to see if your heart's telling you the truth. Otherwise, you might have had sex with that person and got stuck with them and not really been in love because you didn't really evaluate your heart to see if it was telling you the truth. You just wanted some ass. Yeah. You see what I'm saying? Yeah, and I think, you know, I and I agree with you. I know we've had deep conversations about the whole waiting until marriage, and I definitely think – if you were to ask me, should you have sex on the first date or wait till marriage? I think uh, you know, waiting till marriage is obviously obviously the better choice. Um, you know, because I do feel, and I and this is something that I that I stand firm on, is that if you're not emotionally, spiritually, and, and mentally connected, the physical part's not going to matter because that will fade. There's going to be a time where you, you 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 start to see other people that are you know more attractive or, or whatever, and then if you're not really connected, like you will start to veer off. And look at look in other places because, you know that that yearning for what's in your heart needs to be there from all different places because that's what's going to keep you fighting for the relationship, you know, yep. when things get really really bad, right? And I'm sure like there's always going to be tough times where you know relationships are really really rocky, and then but then it's because you have that strong tie on on, on other levels. That keeps you, no, like even though no matter how hard it can be, it keeps you fighting for it. And so, like, I want to shift gears a little bit. I mean, it's kind of yeah. because it kind of ties into what you're doing now. Is you've created City Fam, which is a, I, I've been a part of now for a couple of years. It's a, it's a great community of people to help um, get um, like-minded folks together. Um, you know, what's it, you know, having fun without regrets, right? So. Talk about like the importance of community when you're hitting adversity because something that I know is is common with people when they hit adversity, when they hit tough times, we tend to isolate, which is like a defense mechanism. Um, we tend to kind of shut down. Um, and then we also like if we're in that um, motive for getting a quick fix, we'll go and hang out, hang out with people that are drinking or doing drugs so that we can kind of just feel good right. for a short period of time. So like talk up a little bit about the importance of community and what you think how you think it helps when people are going through tough times. Yeah. I mean, so obviously for, to have a support group, you know, like, so for me, where, where the idea of city fam started was you know, when I was a club promoter, I was really popular, you know, I, and I thought, man, I thought I had a lot of friends. I really did. And then when the shit hit the fan, uh, my phone stopped ringing, you know, like people that people that I thought were really good friends. I'm talking like, boys my boys like people that i hung out with all the time they didn't come to my birthday party like they did like they just dropped me like a bad habit because i didn't really have anything I, it wasn't fun anymore our relationships was just built on fun it was very surface level so when things weren't fun anymore they were gone and it was painful realization and i, I made a decision at that point like that's not who i want to surround myself with i still want to have a good time i still want to be you know i want to go out and and have you know have fun on the weekends and whatever but i want to be around people that i know have my back and that is built on sacrifice not like you know so in the bar scene i was i used to run the bar scene in my town you know it people will hit on your girlfriend when you go to the bathroom and like everybody's just kind of using each other inadvertently they're like crabs in the bucket holding each other down but that wasn't what i wanted you know, that was, so what that requires though of you is now you to start adding value to other people's lives. And then what will happen is in return, you'll, you'll get people now add value into your life. So 
I look at like, you know, the way God wired all this is, you know, we're all going to go through hard times. Um, and you, if you're supporting someone else through their hard time, then there's probably a good chance that they're going to support you when you go through your hard time. Cause you know, we're all, we're all, well, they say you're either, um, you're either, you're coming out of a storm or, or in a storm or going in, what is it? You're coming out of a storm, you're, you're in a storm or you're going, going out of a storm. You're basically like at, at some point you're, you're going to experience the storms of life all throughout your lives. So if you're in a supportive community of people and you got people that can hold you up while you are going through your shit and encourage you and, and, you know, come over if you're sick or if you're moving, they can show up and help you move or whatever. That's going to help you get through your hard times. So th- that's, that's really what was, what city fam was based on is like, well, let's, you know, let's still, let's still have fun, but let's become the best version of ourselves and support each other in the process. But um, yeah, I don't know if that answers your question, but that's, that's what it is. Yeah. You hit the nail on the head. I know like for me, I can totally relate um, to what you were talking about when I was making a lot of my bad decisions, when I was stuck in my, horrible habits of doing drugs, going out partying all the time. Um, I really found out who my true friends are once I stopped engaging in those activities and that, those behaviors. And that's what it comes down to with, with, with women, with, you know, relationships with, in, in, uh, with men and women, right? Like when you're in a romantic relationship, like you really have to, to be deep rooted at the core so that like when like things change, right? Or you go through different, mm-hmm. different phases, you're still stuck and bonded together for who they are. And so I got to find out real quickly, like you did, who my real friends were. And um, I think there's a, there's a lot to be said for being of service to somebody else when you're having a bad day. I mean, tell me that, that the, the reason, like the, you know, one of the 12 steps, not to talk about, you know, um, to, you know, not to talk about like A or NA, is that like one of the 12 steps is to be of service to others because we know that like it's yeah. so important to help another person out when you're struggling. We know it's how good it makes you feel when you're helping somebody else out. So if you're having a bad day, you're feeling depressed, you're feeling like you're in a rut, you know, odds are if you do that, it'll make, you know, someone else's day better and then in turn make your day better. And that's why I think what you've created is so amazing because it's all people trying to work on themselves. Most of them, if not all, right, they're not like on top of the world right now. I mean, and we're, mm-hmm. all, we're all just fighting to crawl back together. And, yeah. you know, and I think at the end of the day, the more you, we create a community of people like that, the more we'll try to change the narrative and the game of, A, hey, you don't have to have sex to have fun. You don't have to be wasted to have fun. You don't have to be high to have fun. You just got to be able to be you and be in a safe environment with people that support that. Um, it's just something that's totally missing, right? We're, especially with the, the rise of social media. As much as you know, you and I have talked about how awesome it is that we live in a time where social media does provide so much value and opportunity, it can also be like the biggest Achilles heel for someone who's highly insecure, right? Because then they're trying right. to fit in. They're trying to like compete with the next person they're scrolling down and seeing, and they're seeing everybody else is having fun, and they think that's what life should be like. And in reality, it's not. And so um, what would you say, though, like – and I know like you know, we've had some conversations – like, like the biggest mistake men and women make, um, other than other than the sex thing, because the sex thing, I know your 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 view on that. Like, what's the biggest mistake men and women make when they're dating? One of the biggest mistakes. I'm thinking. 
Well, I can't speak for women. I think uh, for women, it's assuming that men think like them, and we don't. We think our brains work very different. For men, it's, you know, one of the biggest mistakes, I think, is falling for beauty. You know, like letting beauty dictate. You were talking earlier about, you know, how physical attraction, you know, fades if the connection's not deep. I was thinking about a previous relationship where I dated this girl. And she was the hottest girl I've ever, ever dated. I mean, literally, I believe that, like, God let me date her just to teach me this lesson because I dated some really beautiful women in the past. But, you know, somewhere after a while, you would kind of, like, notice their flaws. You would see little things about them that you might change uh, in their appearance or whatever. But there was a, a girl, and I'm not going to mention her name, but she was literally my physical ideal. Like, I, there was nothing about her that would have changed. Everything down to her, her, the length of her eyelashes, the size of her thighs, like her, her lips, every, every feature about her face, like literally everything about her. I was like, you were like perfectly sculpted for me. But at the end of the day, I still lost my interest in having sex with her because the connection wasn't deep. And I little I could look at her and see how beautiful she was. And I didn't want it. And it was like, it was God taught me that lesson. So I feel like that that for men is, is a big, uh, you know, it's a mistake that we make. It's a trap that we fall in because even me now, I'm so visually drawn. Uh, I can be very visually drawn to women where, I, but I, I know that it's, it's not, it's the first thing that's going to go, you know, it, it's the physical attraction is the first thing that's going to go away. But it's the first thing that you notice, too. But you have to be really smart. So I don't know if, that, if that's the answer to the question because I think it still ties back to waiting. But I did want to say one thing. When you were talking about community, um, I was talking to a friend earlier today. And I was like, you know, she was she was telling me, you know, she, she, she had some volunteer event this weekend. It was actually for the city fam that's down in Houston. And she was expressing some frustrations about uh, the event and, you know, different things that she's going through as she builds the group. And I was like, you know, I said, honestly, community takes work. It's not easy. It's like any other discipline. If I, just like if you want if you want a six pack, you got to go to the gym. You got to do some shit that you don't want to do. You can't eat everything that you want to. You got to die. Like every, everything, you know, community requires work. It doesn't come for free. But this is why if you look at like loneliness and the depression that's happening now, sweeping across the world, there's a loneliness epidemic. People are using drugs because they don't, people are lazy. They don't want to put in the work. They don't want to show up and help that person move. They don't want to sacrifice for the other person. And now they're suffering just like you would suffer if you were eating garbage or if you weren't going to the gym, you would get fat. Now instead people are getting depressed and they're getting lonely and they're getting hooked on drugs because they're not, they're living selfishly. They're not adding value to other people's lives. And I believe that 100% that the devil's real. I know that he's real. I don't believe it. I know he's real. And his goal, he wants to destroy your life. Everyone that's listening to this, he wants to destroy your life. He wants to take away everything that you want most. And if he can get you to act in a way that's selfish, that divides you from other people, get you to use this girl for sex or get you to be greedy with this guy over here and, and worry more about money. And he can destroy your relationships with people and he can one by one, he can separate you and he can get you alone. And then he has a very good chance of destroying your life. When you're in community, he can't, can't attack you like that. I always compare it to the, the lion that comes in the, you know, attack a herd of animals. Have everybody seen National Geographic? It's always that one animal that breaks off from the pack. That's the one that gets pounced on and eaten, right? It's the same way with the devil. He wants to destroy community. So 
that's why, like, even if you go back to what I talk about with waiting, sex without commitment is anti-community. Because if I'm, if I'm fucking this girl without commitment, I don't care if we're, we can be as honest as the day is long. I can say, I'm not looking for anything. This is just going to be sexy. He says, cool. But guess what? I decide I no longer want to bang you, girl A. I want to go bang girl B. Guess what happens to girl A? She gone. She's out. She's not my friend anymore. I'm an asshole, guaranteed. I don't care if we had, we could have been as honest and upfront before we had did it. She is gone. She is not my friend. It is anti-community. So my goal now is to have as many good people in my life as possible. And if that means I have to wait, then I'll do it. Yeah, man. I mean, you bring up some really, really good points. Um, so here's my final question for you, right? Um, and I and I think, you know, before I ask, I think, you know, it's so true with the whole power of community and the whole power of, like, waiting to find the right people in your community is it's just as important as, you know, the, the waiting that you talk about for sex because, like, a lot of times mm-hmm. we'll just fill people in our lives just to fill people in our lives, yeah. just to have people around when yeah. really those people are influencing us to make bad decisions. They're, they don't have our best interest at hand. And we end up, as a result, making bad decisions, right? So, yeah. And, and so adversity is very common these days. We all hit tough times in our life every single day, some worse than others. And there's, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be a lot of people that are listening to this that are like, literally like, have their back against the wall. They've kind of tried everything. They've exhausted all possibilities. If you knew, like, you you knew someone who was like literally in the depths of despair and hopeless, like, what advice would you give to them on how to get out of it? Love it. First off, um, I would say, you know, it's never too late to be who you might have been. So it's never too late. Right. So I was, when I rededicated my life, I was 38 years old. You know, I was just, I was the worst version of myself. And this is only what, eight years ago. Um, and I would say really practically, you, you, you know, you're the average of the five people that you spend the most time with. That's, that's the saying. I believe it's a hundred percent true. When you get around better people, you become a better person. When you get around shitty people, you're going to become a shittier person. So you need to up your friend game. So what I would say very practically is this, is find a faith community, okay? I don't care if you believe or don't believe. There's good people in a good faith community. And I'm not saying go to the first the first church that you find. Go to a different one every Sunday until you find one that you love. And you, if you have to go to 52 of them, you know, one every week for a year, then do that. But go to a different one every week till you find one that you love. Okay, then when you find one that you love, find out how you can help. Maybe they're going to need some help in the children's department, or maybe they're going to want you to be a greeter. Just do something. Be part of the solution, and that that will help you get plugged into that place. Then the third thing I would do is find out if they have small groups that meet throughout the week, and I would do the exact same thing. I would go to a different one every week until I found one that I love. Don't go to the first one because there's some weird people in churches. Be honest. I'm just being honest. But find one that you love, that people you can relate to, and then when you do find one you love, get involved and start going every week. That will give you the five people to spend the most time with, five good people, and your life will start to change. I promise you. Dude, you hit the nail on the head, and I cannot express this advice for, for those listening on you are the people you surround yourself with, and your environment can create a false sense of normalcy based on who they are. So if you're hanging around a bunch of people doing drugs, you're going to think that's normal behavior. If you're hanging around a pe- bunch of people who just aren't doing jack shit with their life, they're sitting on the couch, they're not doing much, they've been years and years of you know playing the victim, woe is me, you're going to be that person. So 
um, you know, Rob, I really appreciate you coming on. Where can people find you if they want to find out more about you, what you stand for, and get in touch with you? Awesome, man. Thanks, Doug. Um, you can go to my website, robbykowalski.com. Uh, there's, you know, contact button there. All my social media links are there. Uh, City Fam is my heart. It's the nonprofit, you know, that I started. But it's just a really good group of people. We do a lot of social events. Uh, we do a lot of volunteer events. We're we're big on having fun, but we call it fun without regret. So um, CityFam.com, we're we're expanding now. One day we'll, we'll hopefully be in cities uh, everywhere on the map, all across the world is the goal. And uh, you know, I'm, I'm in the process of working on a tour now for next year. I wanna I wanna travel around. I wanna talk about waiting, the practicality of it. So if if any you know that message resonates with you, uh, I would love to know where you live. You can just go to the contact button on my website and tell me where you're from and uh you know it, i've made it really easy for me to um come to places i'm not really looking to get paid um so if you're interested in having me come to where you live i'd love to i'd love to do that just reach out yeah man and um you know thank you thank you rob like you know listeners you heard the story of of rob kowalski who is literally taken his adversity of a time when he was really in a really dark spot in his life and now used it as his life's mission his life purpose to help other people um, be sure to check him out he's going to inspire you um you know i thank you all for once again listening to the adversity advantage i'm your host doug bobst and um i'll see you next time have a good one